0: about it so yeah I'll do my so, uh, get, so uh we got so uh i asked i asked niels if he wanted to be on the show and he said uh sure niels niels uh niels hof would be happy to join you on your podcast uh did i mention i'm hof uh do you know what hof is i'm hall of fame i'm just kidding niels how's it going? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: nice opening line <laughs> <laughs> night a- <laughs> well tell us what how does it feel
1: it feels nice, man. I've had a what is it? Almost a week now to let it sink in, and uh, I said this at the other uh, interview with Mike. Uh, for me, you know, I, I'm not all about uh, the pads on the back and all, all that stuff. It just doesn't uh, interest me that much. But it's if you, I heard uh, the count afterwards that there's only out of 80 people in the hall of fame there's only about 55 players in it and if you think about that over the last what is it, 120 150 years yeah. to be in that group that that for me is really cool you know and it's a, it's it for me it's more about being in that group with with my heroes like Ephraim Boosty Earl Archer Ortman you know them from when i grew up when when i was watching those guys now i'm in the same uh, yeah, group. I wouldn't say elite club. Blah blah blah. It's more that 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 group. That's really cool. I think for me, does that answer the question?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely not a. Uh, I mean, you look at the the people that obviously it, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of days ago. We, we did a show on who we voted for and why. Uh, Melina, Mike, Mike Penosa, and I were all three voters for the Hall of Fame. For full disclosure, you got my vote. Uh, if you listen to that that podcast, uh, you were actually the only person that I voted for on uh, the ballot this year, and I gave my reasons for it there. So if if you're interested in why I voted for Niels and only Niels, you could head over there and you could you know listen to why. But uh, it is, I mean, at most you're basically going to have one person in per year. Uh, there was one year where Johnny Archer and Allison Fisher were both uh, in, you know, inducted into the Hall of Fame. But other than that, it's been one every single year. It's brutal no, to no, get into no, this.
1: Uh, I was there for Rodney and Belinda, one year. And well, I, uh, well, I a- thought there was Harry Hearn. Yeah, okay. No, but, no, 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 but you're no, talking no, about no, meritorious yeah, service.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah. So those those are meritorious service. So uh only one player can be inducted at, at any year, unless they both get over seventy five cents. So uh, every every year, every other year, they'll have a, a player up for the meritorious service. And then the year that they don't have the meritorious service, they will have. Uh, a legends of the a, a legends category, which is some player who got overlooked while they were on the ballot, never got in, and now they're being looked back on 20 years later and saying, all right, well this person didn't get in, but they're deserving. Let's get them in now. Uh, okay so every every year they have one player as, as the greatest player category that that I mean you could get in multiple, but it's got to be over 75% of the voting. Um, next year might be a potential year for that. Uh, obviously we all know Shane has turned 40 this year. It's possible because you got Carlo Beato, Guy Young, Kim, and, uh, Shane Van Boning that are all eligible next year. We've talked about that at length too, as to whether or not uh, multiple are going to get in or whether or not you're going to give Shane, uh, you know, his, his solo year, but then the following year you might get Carlo Beato and Guy Young, Kim, right? So we'll see. Uh, but I guess back to where we were at. It's really hard to get into this Hall of Fame it's really 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 difficult it's you know looking back over your career you've been playing this game your basically your entire life right uh has it really totally sunk in yet the players that you are a part of now
1: uh yeah I mean I've been on the Pro scene let me think I got in I got really into it since I was 20. Then I did a bunch of tours on, in the US, road, road trips, and then uh, came back. We were very fortunate with the Dutch group that the um, uh, Olympic Committee gave their stamp on the, on the billiard sport, right? It was eligible to be in the Olympics. And that meant that the Dutch Olympic Committee gave a bonus to the players when they got a medal at the Europeans. So I came back from three years touring in the U.S., six months on, six months off. And we got a medal with the uh, Dutch team right away. So that meant we got financial support. Uh, So I could continue my pro situation right out of the gate coming from the U.S. And then in 2001, so this is in, what is this, 99, 2000. And then 2001, I had my breakthrough year with that Tokyo thing. That was uh, a big check so I, I had financial freedom very quick uh so i could continue my my dream and that's been going on for uh yeah 30 no is it 20 25 years on the on the 22 years as a pro i would say 22 23 years yeah so to be like i said to be part of my heroes in that club that's that's the cool part for me and all the rest is a nice big show, but but uh, to get the the votes from your peers, um, to be I think that night will be cool. I'm curious how many of the the green jackets will be there, the former Hall of Famers or the current Hall of Famers, and, and how many of the old guys and and the current pros. You know, I, think, be- no, I think normally
2: they're quite good. I think normally they do like to turn up for these things. I think the majority of them will be there if they are able to be there, and with would yeah. the international open as well. It's one of the favourite events for the for them to come. You see, you see a lot of the times on the Akustat, um, uh live stream, you see they get their they get the VIP area for the oh, whole thing, yeah. and you see there's quite a lot of them there all the time. So it's a, uh, I think it'll be a good night. I think you'll have, uh, you'll you'll have plenty of those guys to. Uh, Shake your hand, and you will get the pats on the back and welcome to the club. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: it could be quite an emotional evening, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be, uh, it'd be a big build-up. I think you know. Now it's, uh, it's like, wow, nice. But then you're going to prepare, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really going to push hard to get the girls there. That'd be a really nice moment, you know. And uh, of course, it's going to it's going to get built up like the Moscone, you know, always. Mm-hmm. Like the before it's going to build and build. And then I think when I'm gonna jump on stage and uh, it's your whole body's gonna be alive for sure, <laughs>
2: yeah. And you've still got and you've still got a tournament to try and snap off at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
1: I figured out it's the it's on the Friday night. It ends on the Saturday. I, I have no clue how how Pat's running the event now. I think it's now single elimination. I think that's a big bummer, in my humble opinion, because I've always thought the power of that event was the double elimination till the finals, right? So even if you had a bad session on friday and you're uh you're jumping into the losers bracket you could still come all the way back and now it's single elimination last 32 also so anyway it's it's uh, probably that saturday will be semi-finals finals so the friday yeah. night if you if you're not uh still in you can have a couple of wines more but if you're still playing yeah you got i mean you're in the final four so you got you still got to yeah you gotta get ready well,
2: You said 2001. Let let me just go through. There's probably some missing from here because I can't believe this is the only uh, uh, list or this is all that's on the list. But I guess these are the major ones. So, European Champion straight pool, just a couple of times Uh, 2002, (laughs) 2003, 2004, 2007, 2014, 2017, 2018. Nice of you to let somebody else win one now and again. Uh, (laughs) european champion eight ball 2015 the nine ball 2013 and 14 you got third place at the world championship 10 ball in 2008 world champion straight pool in 2008 you got to the final two years in a row in the eight ball 2010 2011 winner of your first pool masters 2013 nine ball world champion the big one 2014 and then another World Pool Masters in 2018, and then probably about another 100 events in between.
1: <laughs>
2: I'd like to just go back to 2018, probably 2017 into mm. 2018. Tough year. You, made, you Yeah,
0: you made to think that you're never playing pool again.
2: How, yeah. This is gonna be my question. I, I mean, how close was it? Or, and how close did you feel it might be to, to that elbow injury being the end of your career?
1: Um, I, I didn't think it was going to end my career, but the, the, the toughest part of that period was that no doctor or, uh, in, 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 uh, Europe, we call it a house doctor, right? That's your local doctor or, uh, nobody was, was giving me a number. Like you're, you're out for dude, you're out for six months. You got a tennis elbow. It was like, no, I'll be two weeks more. I'll be another week, another th- two weeks. So I was doing everything I could to try and get like back on track ASAP because after that summer, there was a whole uh, list of tournaments for the Moscone ranking. We had tournaments in, in uh, Germany and then uh, whatever. It was back to back to back, and I, and I had to start uh, canceling events. So this was the start of it, right? That was in August because I came back from a vacation. I drove back from Italy in two days. And, and that summer, I already had some, some problems left and right. I was, I was swinging Cena uh, on, the, on the swing. I could feel like, what's going on here? And then it would go away. And then it would come back. And then it stuck for a while. I played the Euro Tour in Holland. And I, I couldn't shake somebody's hand. It was like, oh, man. And I couldn't break the balls really good. It was really hurting. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to go to the physio. So I went to the physio here in my town. This guy tested me. He says, yeah, you got some problems with your elbow. You got got to start lifting this weight, right? Do three kilos, do it every day. It was way too much. And uh, after three days, my arm, it just blew up. I went to the the pool room here. I lifted my cue. I had to drop the cue literally out of my hand. I was like, what the hell? So so the uh, inflammation got so intense, that's when I had to start taking a break. So that carried on and on. I got really anxious. I was like, what is that? And nobody said it was a tennis elbow. So I'm doing everything I can, blah, blah, blah. To make a long story short, I flew into Holland, had an appointment with a uh, sports doctor from the Olympic Committee. He tested me. He says, boom, you got a tennis elbow. I said, what? A tennis elbow? You're out. You're out. This could be six to nine months. I said, man. And uh, he said, you got US Open coming up and you still have a chance for the Moscone? He said, we could give you a cortisol injection, right? That's what they sometimes do. And I was, I was anxious about that. I said, he said, listen, it's not going gonna, gonna, gonna to hurt, blah, blah, blah. It's not going to hurt. In the end, we did it. I played the US Open. I played the World Championships with, with heavy painkillers because it started coming back. That's what happens. And then after the Worlds in December, I had to take the full break. So now we're carrying over winter 17 to 18. And that's when I had to go into full rehab for 10 weeks. I couldn't play winter, dark here in Scandinavia. And it was it was really depressing. I couldn't do any sports, couldn't swim, couldn't bike. Then finally I could start running and then I had to really build myself up and just build new muscle. I had to build new uh, muscle tissue here around this, 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 uh, this spot where everything comes together. So I was I was pretty depressed. I didn't think it was gonna end my career, but I had I had doubts about uh just what was going on. Could I get the same power back? Could I have the same drive back? Uh what would happen if I couldn't continue? You know, you're just you're thinking a lot. If you have a big injury, anybody that has a big injury or had a big injury, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it all the time. Wait, my uh
2: that's especially if you've got nothing else to take your mind off, it. if you're not allowed I to do did. any other sport, you can't take I, your mind off it.
1: I didn't have anything to do. I couldn't work on like the, the course or or a YouTube channel. I couldn't I couldn't be productive at all. So I went crazy. If I can't be productive, that that's just my personality. I get I get really irritated. I got to do something every day that's productive, either workout or something that makes me feel good. And uh, so that was a really hard period. But then finally, step by step, you know, I did all the work. And finally, I got the green light from the physio here. Uh, we made the movie about it with Kamui, the great little three-minute movie. And then, I mean, I remember I was allowed to break the balls for the first time. And it still hurt. And I was like, oh, my God, man, I got to go to this tournament in three days. What am, how, how am I going to do this? I was allowed to play 10 minutes, then 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And uh, I just went there, and I just, I just was just glad to be there. And then I beat Raj, you know, Scrappy. Then I got through Dennis. I ran three and out, but I was still, I wasn't really playing that good. But then, then I got pain free in the semifinals against Carl, and that's when all the brakes just flew off, right? I've been, I had pain for ten weeks, and when I got pain free, it was like I just shifted gears, like from second gear to tenth gear. I just didn't, I just wanted to play. I didn't care about anything. I was just a little kid in the ballpark, and uh, I just wanted to play. That's what you see in the video. So if you see those matches, I'm just, I'm just, just freewheeling. I'm just running out from Eric kicking balls in, just running out, man. That was, that was the most fun I had at the Masters ever. I think those two matches for sure. Yeah, long story, but
2: uh, no, so it's, it's never, it's never really been talked about. We've never really had the, the, the feel yeah. we all know what kind of what happened, but the, you know. Um, so I mean, you. You start off your career in 2001 or you start decide that this is what I want to do, I want to be professional, then you, you, you're very much, you, we, we hear it in, your, in the talks that you give about goal setting and setting yourself goals and realistic goals and how do your goals change throughout your career? When, when did you start thinking, now I think I can become a world champion or now I want to be a world champion? And, and was there a point where you thought, hold on a minute, if I look at this list, I might make Hall of Fame someday Kind of thing. Was that was, was there a moment in your career where you thought about this day happening where you thought this is a possibility?
1: Uh yeah. I think when you start racking up some big results, especially the world title in 2014, then you start thinking like, mm, I might have a chance for this. But it wasn't on my list, or I, I wasn't working towards it. Let's put it that way. I was just trying to win tournaments and just play play better and better and better. Excuse me. And um I think the goal setting when you're, when you're a youngster in your early 20s, I mean, these guys now are 15, 16. I was like 22, 23. i had been on the road, you know, worked really hard on my game. I came back to Europe. My goal was just demolish everybody. I just wanted to win every freaking tournament, you know. The, the, the cool thing, I didn't think like, okay, I'm going to go on the Euro Tour scene now and I'm going to try and reach the final 16. I said, I want, I want to jump straight and win, win a Euro Tour, right? So I got to the finals. Then a year later, second Euro Tour, I got to the finals, uh, same Euro Tour, and then the year after, again in Finland, I won my first Euro Tour, and uh, it was for. I felt like if you stayed in Europe when I was early twenties, it went too slow. That's why I went to the US, and in the US, I got so inspired, man. I'm around these champions all the time. I'm on the road, so I came back to Europe. And at that time, I just didn't fear anybody. I was like, dude, I've been through all of this. That was my mindset. Do you think I fear any of this coming back? You know what I mean? So I just wanted to jump in fresh. And uh, then, of course, when you turn pro, you're going to play more events. And you start figuring out that other guys are, can also play really good tournament pool. <laughs> and... Uh, then it gets a little harder, you know. And then it's one thing to win a Euro Tour, but it's a whole other animal to win a, a world title. That's uh... pro pool at the highest level is more about pressure management and momentum, carrying that confidence momentum over, and and you know, and capitalizing on that. Like look at Sanchez, it's like that streak. That's that you see that with you've seen that with Mika and Darren and myself and, and Sanchez, uh, Ralph. It's it's usually that streak when you get confident, really confident, you can carry it on for a while. Um, so yeah, just gradually setting setting higher targets, and then uh, eventually you see a whole list of nice things. And you think this, yeah, this might work for the Hall of Fame. Why not?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you have set all these targets and you you've met them all. I mean, there's nothing that you that you haven't achieved.
1: U.S. Open and U.S. Yes, open. Okay,
2: so I was going to say. Yeah. What is what what is now your target? I mean, you're now 46 years old, Hall yeah. of Fame, a world champion. Okay, you could name the U.S. Open as being a target because you don't have one of them. But how do you keep setting yourself targets when you've achieved almost everything?
1: Well, I'm not I'm not delusional. You know, my life right now doesn't look like my not my life in my 20s and 30s without kids, uh, without without uh, other responsibilities, commitments. Uh, I have to really. Work harder to uh, get in stroke, stay in stroke. You know when you're when you don't have all those commitments, that's all you do. You're playing pool. You're always in stroke, and um, that's the thing I struggle with the most nowadays. Is you know if I if I would want to peak more, I would have to play more events, but I don't want to do that because I also want to see my girls. So sometimes you think it takes me longer at events. Sometimes to get in gear like mentally tough, uh, getting adjusted, that takes a little longer. And that's sometimes frustrating because you think like, man, if I would have only played these two events before, I would have had a, you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, But that's that's a trap you have to stay away from. Um, So the goal for me is still to win a major. I think personally in my heart that I play better now. I'm more complete than when I won the world title. I think I'm more fit than in my 20s and 30s. Uh, so energy wise, uh, fundamentally wise, like my lifestyle and and stuff as a pro and game wise, I think I still can do it. I got to the quarters at the, at the Worlds. I had Mario nine six and he ran the setup from nine eight. Otherwise I'm in the semis, perhaps against Sanchez, you know, I'm at least third then. So then I got third at the masters, lost Hill, Hill, that was, that was a nice one. So it's still there. It's just, uh, it's it's a little harder with you know playing. There's so many events. I gotta just pick them. I can't play everything. That, you know that that would not be my my life wish at the moment. So that's sometimes internally a struggle. But uh, also I can let go of that pretty quick because I I'm uh, I'm ri- I'm rich on the home front, so to speak. I have I have a nice. I have nice girls that sometimes drive me absolutely crazy, but <laughs> I'm not, there. Not. Tell me about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm there, you know. I'm in. I'm in the arena with that also.
0: So, so you you talked uh, you talked a little bit about about the mental side. Now I do want to get to that in a second, but I want to touch first off about uh, you, you said um, you wish you would play more events, but you know all things considered, how do you actually pick your schedule? Do you just look at the matchroom schedule and say, all right, this is mine? Do you look at the Predator schedule? I mean, how are you actually looking through everything that's available and saying, these are the ones I want to throw my hat in the ring on?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, uh, well, if you look now, uh, it's kind of summertime. So I said, okay, I'm taking three weeks off. Even if there's a Euro tour next week, I say, okay, three weeks off. We're going on a little trip here on Saturday a week. And then once I'm back, you look at the calendar and then you see, okay, there's tournament in Sarajevo connected to the European Open. So I could say, okay, I'm going straight to the European Open, but then I have that problem again. I, got, I don't really have that competitive groove. So I'd say, okay, I'm going to Sarajevo and straight after to Fulda. So I hope to get like at least five to 10 matches in Sarajevo to get me a little sharper. Uh, then there's a little break again, uh, but September is going to be busy with, I'm going to again, Balkan Tour straight to jason's tournament connecticut and then on to the us open so that's a nice little block um and then we're is that september yeah and i'm doing the pro star yeah
0: that's end of september yeah
1: i'm doing the pro star before that so there was a uh a a problem there because china open came up now china open i got the invite but that's you know that's again i have to choose if if i would do that also it would be a week a week a week It'd be too much, so my, my heart would say, "Yeah, China Open, nice." But no, I'm doing Pro Star Cup with my whole family. We're going to the camping there, staying for a week. So it's practice, tournament, little uh, vacation all together, quality time, and a tournament. So I try to do these mini blocks throughout the calendar. And uh, you know, if you're if you're now a, a youngster, a touring pro, you would just go left and right. You know what I mean? You would go from China to, to there, to the European Open, to the US three weeks, four weeks, go to uh, the Philippines. What's up? Asian Open. You know what I mean? But I guess,
2: uh, I guess in a way, because there are so many tournaments now to pick from, you can make your schedule based on what you want to do rather than being free in between the tournaments the only tournaments that you have to play. You know, if there's only one tournament every month, then your free time is decided by when the tournaments are, whereas now there's so many tournaments that you can turn around and say, I'm taking this three weeks off because it's the school holidays, I'm going to go to some with the family, and you know there's a tournament before you stop, and there's a tournament yeah when you come back, because even there's just a tournament every week now, yeah, potentially, yeah. that you could go and play, you know? True. Um, so you're never you're never going to go dry. I think anyone, if if you want to be one of those young kids who just plays absolutely everything, then you know you're living out of a suitcase for 365 days of the year and you're only traveling, or you can just choose to pick and choose the, the ones that you want. And I think most I think most people their their prior Nate asked, you know, what, how do you pick your tournaments? I think the majority of people their priority at the moment goes towards the nine-ball ranking kind of thing. That seems to be the 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 way the most are doing it if they have to pick and choose. But I I, I like the way that you always go to your you, you always uh, go to like the, the Pro Star and the Longoni tournaments. Uh, you've got a very tight bond with Longoni. I mean, I can't believe that in all the time that you've, that, that no other queue manufacturers have been trying to headhunt you and get you to move, but you've always stayed loyal to Longoni kind of thing. You're like, a sponsor, you're like a sponsor's dream. You don't go chasing the. the yeah, no, yeah, you see players are switching queues every couple of years if they get offered a better contract. You're always very loyal at your sponsors. Is that something you're that that that? that yeah. How to yeah how to say that? Is, is that is that something that you, you're very deliberate in making sure that if somebody is going to support you, that you do the best that you possibly can for them and support their events
1: and all that kind of stuff. I think uh, it's it's a really good relationship with Pierre Luigi. You know, I've been with him since I think it's two thousand and three or four. Um, and uh, they're just really good people. So, you know, every time we see him, we go out for dinner and we, uh, we catch up about the scene and about new possibilities with products and new developments. And uh, he's just a really, really good guy. Uh, and of course, we have to talk financial stuff also, but that's never been a, an, an, an issue or a debate or anything. It's, uh, it's just a really nice family uh, feeling. And also you can you can say, okay, I'm going to go to this Q brand for three years and then who knows, they might drop you and what do you have then? You know what I mean? I've been with Longoni for 20 years and uh, we've never had any issues whatsoever. If there was anything that came up, it was boom, pick up the phone and 15 minutes later we spoke things out, with, which there was hardly ever anything anyway. So, uh, you know, even if I get 33rd at a tournament, it doesn't even matter. You know, or if I win, it's great. But it's more the long, the longevity of it, and the, and the branding. They believe more in the branding in the long term. Uh, so that's just, it's, they always have my back, and that's a really uh, a really cool thing. That's that's nice. You don't have to worry about oh, I have to get to the finals in this tournament, or I might lose my Q sponsor or anything. It's never never been an issue. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he's always valued my. Uh, ethics as a pro uh, connected to his brand, so that's that's a win win. Seems very difficult not to. <laughs> you see, you're like a sponsor, you're like a
2: sponsor's dream. I mean, even even for the podcast, you've obviously gone and put your sponsorship shirt on for the for the podcast. I'm pretty sure you didn't go out for dinner wearing that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you even, even go back and got changed to make sure you. Guys, but yeah, but not everybody. You can laugh, but not everybody does that. You know, that's yeah. you know,
1: it's, yeah.
2: It's, i didn't it, i didn't need, need to always very professional head. you know
1: Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: true yeah. i mean it's one it's one of the things we talked about when we talked about how do you how do you rate somebody for being in the hall of fame you know do you do it just based on results but it's a full package you know and um we we talked a little bit about the the, the youth coming through before we came on air and stuff like that and what the youth really need is they need they, they, they need ambassadors of the sport. They need people to look up to. They need people that they say, "I want to be like that person." You know, that, that's why I like. I mean, I like I like you as a pick uh, for Hall of Fame on a personal basis anyway, because we're friends. But also, I think it's just a great pick because of the, the the full package. You kind of tick all the boxes, in my opinion. And when kids are coming through, they need to be able to see role models and say, "This is who I like to be like." in order for that to happen, we have to reward the people who are. Of mm. that space and are the role models so that the youth see these people, this this, this guy is getting rewarded for everything he's done right, in the game right. and he's doing this, He's he keeps himself fit, he's always well-dressed, he, 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 he looks after his sponsors and his sponsors look after him, he's always very professional, he's respectful, everybody has respect for him. These are the kind of guys that are role models but you have to push them forward and say, we're rewarding somebody for being like that and not just ignoring somebody when they're like that, you know what I mean? And I think it's uh, no. I'm. I, I'm. I'm. I'm delighted on this one because we all know that if you hadn't got in this year, you would have had to wait another year anyway. Because next year <laughs> is already decided. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm so delighted that it happened this year, um, yeah. and uh, I, I think it's. I, I for all you kids out there that are looking, if you're looking for somebody to to, to model your, your your game on or your behavior on. Well,
0: uh, <laughs> um, back back way early on in the podcast, when I first started doing this, I used to bring on one player every week, uh, back when I actually, I guess had more time to do this, but, uh, I bring on one player every single week and we would do player profiles on them. And we would ask basically the same questions over and over and over again, so that we got a little bit better idea on the players. And one of the questions that I asked was who is, who is your role model in pool? Uh, you know, for all the players over, let's say 40 that I brought on at the time, uh, it was you know, Buddy Hall, it was Mike Siegel, it was you know, those types of players. I'm not kidding you. Every single player under the age of 25, your name came out of their mouth, whether you were the or whether you were amongst two or three. Huh. Every single player. over. The, I probably did – I mean, they're still out there. I probably did maybe 10 to 15 interviews of players under the age of 25, and every single one of them mentioned your name. Wow, you and you and Ralph were a you and Ralph. You were the number one. Ralph was number two as far as who they respected the most growing up playing. So,
1: yeah, I'm a little fitter than Ralph. No, <laughs> just kidding. <You're laughs> a little younger <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. I never. That's crazy.
2: Even even when even when you talk to the current pros and you and the you know you get in the conversations of you know the the the. The most professional, the hardest working, you know, the, the 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 best attitude, the Niels's name. I'll say it again, if your name's in the discussion, you're doing something right. And Niels' name is always in there. Even with the top guys, when I speak to Darren, to Jason, to the, the, you know, they all they all come out with the same names. And Niels is always one of them, you know. And uh, I think Thank the Hall of Fame you. is just like putting the cherry on the top and it, it, it's a legacy, you know, you're now you're now eternal. You know, you're you're your name will always be there. Now you know and 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 deserve it. H O F. You get the green jacket.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that be, be fun. I did the measurements yesterday because I heard a story. Or was it yesterday? Ralph supposedly uh, did the measurements, and it, it, let's say he's a, a 48 or a 50, but it's totally different in the U.S. So it's like minus 10. Something like that. So it should have been a 38 for him in the U.S. So he gets his jacket and it's a U.S. 48. It's <laughs> like that long, right? So they said, like, make sure you get the U.S. size. So I'm a 52. I, I put straight into the conversion and it was like a 42. So I send it over to Shane.
0: I'm just imagining <laughs> Ralph up there just going like this with his arms. And then <laughs> flaps. Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't like that. The <laughs> little flaps are just going all
2: over the place. <laughs> Rolled roll, roll up. <laughs> Yeah, Brilliant. so you've, uh, I mean, you've, you've got to come up with a speech now, and yeah, not to, not to go too deep into it, but it must already be in your head. Is there any, any names that come to mind straight away that have had a, 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 a big in, influence in your career?
1: Oh man, there's a, there's a whole list, but uh, top you know, three, uh, no, I think top five. I mean, uh, you have Johan. Uh, you have uh, Steven Fahara from Hague 5. You know, he used to drive me to all these tournaments in Holland when I was 17, 18. We always go together from Hague 5. Then you have Alex Grunewald from Hague 5, who got me in contact with Joe Kerr uh, when I was 20. That was my first contact in the in the US. So that's a, then Johan also uh, spoke with my parents when I was 17, tried to convince them more to, to push me to, to keep playing. Uh, Then he was out of it for a long time, Johan. He he wasn't involved with pool, And then he came back. He was, of course, the Dutch coach, Moscone coach. So I I worked with Johan for many years. And then uh, Aaron Zetley, Corey Dool's stake horse. He staked me uh, when I was 21, 22. Friend of mine. You know, he let me always play better players. He always put me in the box against better players, staked me, because that's how he believed I would get better. And then... uh, I'm probably forgetting. I, I, you know, I got to make a list, like top five that go on. There's so many guys, man. It's unreal. <laughs> but my wife, is. I mean, top of the list probably my wife, you know, because also if you got the jet lags, you know, it's not it's not easy to be with a pool player. And it's uh, uh, she is a pool player. She used to be a pool player. I'm trying to get her back on track. She's, it's not going to happen. But <laughs> Kat, Kat got a silver medal herself at the Europeans and a bronze medal years ago. So that's how we met at the Europeans in uh, 2004. Um, so she knows the game in and out and we traveled together, but you know, when a pool player is jet lagged and he comes home from a trip and mentally destroyed uh, it's not, it's not always happy days, you know uh, you can have a little, uh, your squibbles and your di- this and that, but uh, at the end of the day, I mean, she's, she's the foundation for, for everything in this house. If, if you know, I mean, uh, I can I can thank uh, 20 guys, but she, she's always there when uh, when I'm down or 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 stuff, you know. So, yeah, it does take a special kind
2: of lady to be in a relationship with a pool
1: player at any level. I mean,
2: even at, even at even my good level, ones. <laughs> no, even.
1: Think about think about the, the pool. I mean, we don't make millions, right? So it's, no. there's. There's a lot of pressure on pool players, right? You got to go out, and you got to keep going out, and try to make a living. And there's uh, there's been many divorces in the pool world. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of a lot of guys that are on, are on tour with with uh, two kids, and no. that have uh, a marriage. I
0: mean, it's very it's, dear it's, success stories.
2: none with two kids with the same woman that they're still married to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, five, six kids with five. Months, but, uh, I mean, you know, if for our world, if you if we would be golf players and you make uh, a million a tournament, you, you you bring everybody on the road. Or like Federer, you know, I read his latest book, uh, The Master or whatever. He brought a, he, a private jet. And he, he had two twins and he brought nannies and teachers and private houses. I mean, who did you, who did you just say? Federer, Roger Federer. Oh, I thought you said Federer. I'm like, no, Federer. He's <laughs> he's one I want to say I
0: if he's got it, man, he he needs to get banned from uh, events more often. If he's, he's having that kind of success, but <laughs> well, he just he
2: just went on Facebook earlier today, sporting two new Rolexes that he's just got. So he's
1: doing okay, I think. <laughs>
0: oh man, yeah, right. yeah. So, uh all right, uh I want to ask a couple of like uh, lightning questions. You know, just quick questions that uh, mental
1: questions. You wanted to talk mental. You said well,
0: right. At, well, do you want to do that first?
1: Whatever you yeah, want. Well, let,
0: let's let's do let's do the mental side of this okay. because. Uh, Okay. So obviously like, let's put this disclaimer out there. I'm nowhere close to the the player that you have ever been. But um, as I, as my pool career slows down, I I find that the hardest part that I deal with is the mental side of things. And it's not the mental side of things of um, like being ready for an event. It's, it's maintaining the readiness throughout the event, whether you're down five to zero up five to zero, or, you know, just, you know, you, you get down with a really intense hill, hill match and, you know, you go sit at the bar and have a water or a soda or something like that. And, you know, you're just kind of coming down from it. And all of a sudden you get called to the next table. Uh, and you got to go up and down and up and down. And, and while, when you're playing a lot, that stuff's pretty easy to do, right? It's just it's just ingrained into your, your, uh, your, your competitive abilities. But when you're not playing a lot and you pick up your cues once a month or once every other month or, you know, whatever it is, to be able to get into that uh, mode, stay in that mode, and more importantly, come down from it and get back up into it, without really catching a, a you know, without a, really losing anything. That's really hard to do. I've really struggled with that. I would say it sounds a little bit like that's kind of where you're at, where you're, you're, um, you're playing these world quality events, and then you're going and having a, a holiday with the wife and kids. And then three days later you're home and then you're back at your, your next event playing for, you know, your career. It, I guess just talk a little bit about that. And then maybe you can transition that into, into the actual uh, course that you've created to help players with stuff like this
1: cool um yeah i think if you're if you're competing right and you're trying to you're trying to stretch yourself so i mean there's nothing wrong with playing for fun and having a having a drink and your league nights and all that stuff that's that's fine that's fun uh keep that up but if you're trying to push the envelope if you're trying to get better that means you got to step out of your <clears throat> out of your comfort zone, right? And if you're going to do that, by by definition, you're going to feel uncomfortable a lot of times. And that's when you're really starting to learn things about yourself, and you have to search for answers, and you have to you need help. I mean, I've done. Uh, it took me 30 years to build a whole package from from uh, hard knocks and reading books and talking to people and working on myself and and one on one sessions and sports psychologist a therapist you know just I wanted to work on myself like why is this thing blocking me and why is, why am I struggling with this and what's going on with that and uh, finding answers you know what I mean and then you put that to work so to answer two questions for myself I know if I want to get competitively tough to compete in the arena with the best I gotta go out there and compete with good players it's not going to help me to just be out here by myself you know i can run 150 balls no problem because there's no heat uh there's no uh, i'm all by myself just chilling out practicing uh but then if you go uh, let's say into a pool room and uh and there's 10 uh, pros sitting around your table because you're playing 500 a set against another pro that's a different kind of heat or if you're stepping into a big arena playing uh, center court in front of the lights, the only thing you can do is go out there and do it, you know, and you got to do it often and you got to do it frequently. So a a much overlooked thing is I'm going to do a a video about this one day. YouTube video is building these streaks of events. It's very hard to get used to pressure. If you are doing one event, three weeks later, one event, Two weeks later, one event. It's better to do like a block, like three, four events. Boom, 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 boom. And then when, once you hit that second, third, fourth event, it's like your living room because you're doing it and doing it. Your stress, your nervous system gets used to it, etc. That's one part of it. Now, what do you do when you're actually in the event? That then it comes down to uh, what's in the in the mental courses. One part's met, match preparation. Like, what do you need? For your personality to get ready for your match. A lot of people don't even know what they need. They don't even know what the hell their ready looks like. They chit chat with everybody where actually they need like five minutes by themselves outside. Just getting cleared out and then go back in and, and, and hammer it. Other people need that time to chit chat. They need that nervous energy out, right? Like uh, like Rodney used to do and Earl, they, uh, Raj, they needed to talk to, to a lot of ple- people and get it out. That's what worked for them. I, I'm not like that. I need quiet me time before before a match. Earpods in. I got to build my focus up and up and up. Um, so that's one part of it. Then part two is your mental foundation uh, during the event, like away from the matches, when you're home, meditating, meditating. Uh, visualizing perhaps, creating mental space, whatever works for you, you need to be able to focus. If you're always cluttered up and you're and you're not even able to focus, or if you're sleeping five hours a night and you get no energy, well, good luck the next day having a good practice session or a match. There's no way, you know what I mean? These mental foundation things like insight, knowledge, and then during the match, uh, it can be... Uh,
0: what the heck? The rest you have to pay for the rest of it. So yes, uh, yes. So that's your free sample. Uh your free, your free sample,
2: sample is done.
0: Well, that's fun. We uh, I'm assuming, I don't know, maybe uh, I bet his I bet his laptop died.
2: Well, you could stick up he's a uh, if you want to know well, more uh, while we're trying to get Niels back, if you want to know more about what Niels is talking about, you can go to the Terminator College. Just type uh, Terminator College, it'll all pop up. Niels is this expansive course, he'll do 30 minutes with you uh, face-to-face uh, over the over uh, Skype or WhatsApp or whatever. He'll talk to you find out exactly what you need. He was talking about it there. Find out what you need yourself, know yourself a little bit. He'll figure that out for you and you can go through the whole uh, course and the course is basically valid for as long as you want it to be valid for you. Keep returning to it uh, to pick up tips and um, He's put a lot of hard work into that, and uh, I've only heard good things from the people who have who have, uh, gone into it, so it's worth taking a look Go at the Terminator College and have a look at it.
0: Yeah, I put it into the comments, so if you want to see it. Uh, I know we we brought him on to, uh, after, actually, I think right after he uh, he finished this up, we brought him onto the podcast to chat it out, and so we do have a podcast in there, too, if you want to know a little bit more about the specifics of it. There he is. Oh, he's back.
1: Are we back? I think. Testing. Yeah, we got you.
2: I can't see you because Nate's we put can up hear this.
1: Testing. Can, can you hear us? Test. Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you hear me?
2: Yeah, we can hear you. We just couldn't see yep. you because Nate Good put, put up this massive big Terminator college banner over, the, over your I lost, face.
1: uh I lost connection a little bit. I had some struggles here. I apologize uh so where was i meant uh mental match play that's uh all about handling tilt expectations frustration anger all this stuff like uh insight talking to yourself breathing exercises that's really powerful and then after the match where a lot of people struggle is they perhaps they're really hard on themselves and they go into a slump right uh this didn't go well I should have done this. I suck, blah, blah. And I have a whole schedule of uh, feedback loop that you can go through. It can take you maybe five minutes, ten minutes to keep you positively charged for the next event. Like what went well? What needs work? What are you going to do to fix it? Instead of this, I suck. I should have done that. uh, I'm not playing well. Blah, 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 blah. Then there's a book list, quick learn guides, and then you get 30 minutes of Skype with me. That's all in the big course. So that, I mean, that was really cool to make that standing there over 2,500 people have joined the college. Uh, so that's, that's really wow. cool. So, yeah, that's really cool.
0: So that's, that's insane.
1: 2,500. Yeah. Oh, man, come on now. Oh, no, you're, good. Right? It, you're good. It's Nate. that's frozen. Oh, it's Nate. I said, "Oh man, not again." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm frozen. I'm
1: getting nervous. <laughs> yeah. Am so. I frozen? No, you're, you're good now. You just. Oh, frozen okay. Frozen. Good. Yeah.
2: yeah. You put you put
1: yeah. meals on tilt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back to the breathing.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And I will uh, on Facebook. I will pin uh, the link to terminatorcollege.com. It's just Terminator collegecom So. Uh, if you want to check that out, that's that's where you can get that for. Um, yeah, I guess. Is there anything else you want to discuss with that? I mean, there's how how much content is on there? Like, if you were to go through all of the content, uh, how long do you think it would take you to to just go through everything?
1: A Couple of hours. It's 33 videos. Uh, I mean, it depends on you. If you want to, if you want to order some books, not mine, but like uh, really top books. And uh, then you get the 30 minutes, you know, so everybody runs into situations where they think, oh, man, this is just what I'm struggling with. And then we can dive in a little deeper. You know, I can maybe recommend some other books or some other tips for you personally. That's really cool. I've met a lot of nice, really wonderful people in, in chats. And, you know, you open that screen on Skype or whatever. And you, you've never met this person, but you're, you're on the same like, uh, you know, I've, I feel what they feel and, and uh, you're not that much different because you all share the same nerves and, and and you know, pressure and passion and all that stuff. So it's really cool to uh, to be able to help people from all different ages. And uh, it's cool. Right now I'm doing 30% discount because of the Hall of Fame. So just go to the college and then check out page. It's fame30 in big letters. You get 30% off. And this is just to be
2: be clear, this is is for all levels of players. It doesn't matter what kind of level you're at, it will work for everybody.
0: Yeah.
1: Doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. And Fred Dinsmore says uh, it works. Perfect. Wow. He needs to. Well, there you go. Fred, I know Fred. Fred
2: He's got some mental issues. So if he says it (laughs) works for him, then it it must be pretty powerful stuff.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're all working on yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got, I, got, uh, I, got one, I got one more question. Now that you're you're 46 year old and you've built up all this 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 massive amount of information that you have through your years of experience and 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 doing all your mental stuff and everything. So let's say we, you had the opportunity of the 46 year old Neil's fine going back to talk to the 22 year old Neil's fine. What you, you get five minutes with him? What you're gonna you know? What's the kind of things you're going to be saying to him? um
1: i would say one thing and that is play one pocket when i was because i went to the states and i never properly got introduced to the full power of one pocket when i was 20 man it was so boring it was just tapping balls and then now like 10 years ago you got this dvd from scott frost like power one pocket man it's like dude if i would have seen this when i was 20 you know i would have been hooked and uh, it would have given me so much uh tactical game when i was younger you know we were we were figuring out everything by ourselves in that generation the break Kicking, we were, you know, now it's all on YouTube. We were trying to figure it, figure it out with, with Alex Laley and Nick and me and Rico. And how would we do this? How should we do that? And the drill for this. And, you know, these guys, they knock off 10 years of their learning curve, these youngsters, just because it's all online. So I would definitely say work on your tactical side ASAP, because I was just a run out uh, addict. I just wanted to run out and run racks. Uh, that's why one on the spot with a normal rack is still my favorite. Cause that's where I ran 15 racks in a row and, and straight pool, you know, you just get the run out, run out. Um, but yeah, I, I think besides that, I wouldn't, I, my work ethics and, and all that stuff was really high already then. So I would just say, just, just keep, keep hammering, just do the same thing, you know, and then eventually the life lessons will, Will will follow, but for pool, the the tactical side asap, especially for 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 the youngsters. Yeah, I can't. Be, I, I can't believe you said one pocket. I've just
2: got this vision now of Melina Mike dancing around his living room. Neil
1: said <laughs> one pocket. <laughs> <Our> one pocket.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Neil, you ready for a couple uh rapid questions? Let's do it. All right, what? was your most accomplished win everything taken into consideration
1: The uh, 2014 world title
0: all right uh you never win a single event the rest of your career but you can trade that for a u.s open title which <laughs> do you take no do you
1: take it no no way for you mean everything I've won now? Put that away and, and get no, no, no. no.
0: To, to from here going forward, so you will not win another event for the rest of your career. But you'll win this year's U.S. Open.
1: Do it, yep. Yeah. Happy man. Yeah, <laughs> you win. Yeah,
0: not. I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, remove. I would. The US I, would Open. I would take the same. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 funny, Jim. <laughs> okay. Uh, what is so if you could win three or what are the what are three more events that you want to win but by the end of your career obviously the us open being one of them
1: uh uh three i mean us open i would say one i mean if if i would like to win another european straight pool just for personal reasons just because I, uh, I just have something with that event. Really, I started to make my goal to try and win ten. I got seven. I got close last yeah. year.
0: Twenty-seven wins in that isn't enough.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not a massive. It's not a massive goal. But it's just for personal pride. Because last year I ran four times a hundred in that event. I had three hundreds in a row, and I just felt I was I was the best fourteen-one player in that room, and I wanted to win. You know what I mean. That's how you have to feel as a pro. Otherwise, you cannot beat these guys. So uh, that's just personal. Another, I would just, uh, I think another, you know, these are massive goals. Another world title. I really had a strong desire this winter to win that world title. Because it came like right after the Christmas period, right? A little break, couple of weeks off. And I, it just, man, it just, I would just felt it. You know, I wanted to put everything into winning that thing. We had Dutch championships, then straight to Taiwan, the boot camp, and then straight to the world title. You know, I put every effort into it to to get a good result. I really wanted to win. I I did as good as I could, you know, I played good, good preparation. So that would be of course a, a massive win. So I hope that answers it.
0: Yeah. Perfect.
1: Uh, who was your
0: favorite person to play against in your entire career? Like, who was who it you saw on the bracket, you get to play them, and you just got excited for it? Maybe because you had a good record against them, maybe just because you like competing against that one person. But who? looking back at your career, who was the one person that you enjoyed playing?
1: One guy? Or, or, or a few. Yeah, there's a couple of – there's multiple reasons. There was uh, Efren – because he was, uh, I mean, he was the greatest, the, 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 you know, the elite of the elite in my 20s. I saw him do just stuff that's unbelievable. But we've all heard those stories. So he was the inspiration. And then get to play him was just, the focus was just boom. And uh, I always, I always, for some reason, I always played good against Archer. I just had matches with him where I just played like unbelievable. And uh you know, I, I, I have really good respect for Johnny. I uh, think he's a really nice and, and really cool champion. Uh, also, in the Moscone, I've always had nice chats with him. So, I, I enjoyed playing him. We had really cool battles. Also, Hill Hill at the US Opens. And uh, there's other guys, but that's, that's personal reasons, that's more um, rivalry stuff and uh seems like a perfect platform for it let's hear it Uh, respect for the other guys
0: (laughs) is there anybody on, on the on the other side of it is there anybody that you didn't like playing against for any sort of reasons
1: yeah i think uh to be honest i never liked to play the the guys that manipulated the rack like uh, i had no problem with with a little bit of pattern racking you could you could talk about that and get it out of the way but to cheat on the rack and really leave gaps and uh i just it's felt so, it so
2: nice, it's so nice to hear a professional actually call it cheating well i mean most most me, of, I'm a, of, and i completely agree it is cheating
1: but i'm a biker, it, right i call it cheating. But, Jim, I I ride my bike. The Tour de France is going, right? I've followed bike cycling for years. And for me, it's doping. Yeah. It's, it's mechanical doping, EPO doping all together in one thing. I think there's – and I'm going to say this out loud. and I'm not ashamed. I think there's people that want U.S. Opens by doping. And I'm going to say that. I don't, I don't care. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean – there's a couple of guys. There's a handful of guys that have that have manipulated that. And if you're in the in the pro field and you're not doing the same thing, you have zero chance. Like at mm-hmm. events like Derby back then, U.S. Opens, you got it's like getting it's like them getting four to five racks on the wire. Yeah. Uh, by by opening up those gaps behind the back balls where the corner ball just keeps flying in and flying in, you just get no chance if you're not doing the same thing. Eventually, you're gonna, you're, they're gonna catch you, and you're gonna lose. So I've had, I've had mul- I mean, I've had huge discussions uh, about the rack in also in the Acustair Arena. And and to be frank, people just didn't understand it. They had no clue what was going on. They thought, oh, why are you whining about the rack? It's it, don't you understand? If I don't do this, I have zero chance. This guy has to close these balls. If we're playing like. Even with a with a normal rack, they were, you know, they're doing stuff and opening up that back ball or or pushing out the wing ball. It's doping. It's pure doping, in my opinion. And I think they, they should have been barred or at least be disqualified out out of the room and uh, uh, barred for a year. Come back next year. That's why I was so glad that they finally started implementing neutral rackers at these events. They started at uh, that was it. Still, the U.S. Open back then. I think it was Fleming's tournament. They st- I think it was still Barry Berman's. Then they started with neutral rackers. I was a big uh, vote for that, and uh, I, that that really helped to clean up that side of the sport because it was just a joke. It it was it was. It, I, I get I get angry about it. You can tell, but it was like if you're a young pro and you go join that that tour. And, you, and at first you're going to get hammered and you don't know what's going on. And then you see, okay, uh, I see what they're doing now. Do I want to do this or do I want to work at the supermarket? Basically that's the, <laughs> that's the vision, right? That you love the game. You That's the same in cycling. These kids were 20 years old. What are you going to do? Take the injection or go back home? Well,
0: so, that, yeah, that was a lot of people's, uh, that was a lot of people's, I, you guys don't, like baseball that much in uh, Europe, but I mean, that was the big argument during the steroid era of baseball. When people are hitting 50, 60, 70 home runs a year, it's like, well, I know that I have to take steroids because I know the pitcher that's going to be throwing this ball at me is taking them. And do I, do I really want to give them, you know, that, that extra, you know, little 10%, 20% on top of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, well, I mean, we're not, we won't ask you for actual names, but how many, during this era that you're talking about, how many of, how many of the players, how many of your contemporaries do you think were doing this, manipulating the racks in this way?
1: Good question. I know I know for sure five guys, but it might have been a lot more. Uh, I don't I don't know. I've, I mean, like I said, pattern racking. You know, you can get you can have a big discussion, then it's out of the way. You know, then you just rack them like you do now, and two is random or whatever. But to like start tilting the rack and lowering the rack and opening up balls, I mean, then you're really coming into a gray, dark area. I think, uh, and unfortunately, there was, you know, there were the, – yeah, there was, there was guys that at certain events. It was just, it was just standard, and uh, it, yeah, I think only the, the the majority of the pros knew what was really going on. The fans didn't even know, so it was. What? Unless I'm wrong, unless I'm naive now, I'm I'm, you probably know best. Well, I, I, find, this
0: very, I find this very interesting, I, and, I, and I want to kind of dig deeper at this without, you know, really saying names or anything. Um, you said may, at least five players. You don't know exactly how many. When do you think it started? Like, when, when do you remember this, looking at the rack and watching people do these things and be like, what is going on here to the point where you actually looked into it and found out what was happening?
1: Wow. Uh, early, early tens, teens. How do you say that? Te- early teens? Shit. Thirteen, fourteen. Maybe no it's gotta be it's gotta be earlier than that, right? But that's that's the naive part where you didn't really know what was going on. Didn't what well. was on yeah. yeah. 10, 8, 8 9, 10, 12. For sure, th- for sure. I really started seeing things at uh like uh, thirteen, fourteen. 13, 14. Uh, and then it became kind of classic uh, at the Derby where you just started seeing things that weren't r- really possible, like breaking from the box and the corner balls flying in 300 miles an hour straight on, you know, stuff like that, that doesn't happen uh, three times in a row. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. I don't know what I don't want to make a big discussion out of it, but that's just what, what I, what I saw. And um,
2: no, but I, for me, we'll I, mean, <laughs> I think we've probably gone deep enough on it. But for me, yeah. it's just a question to hear a top pro actually refer to it as cheating, whereas it seems to have universally it's called rack manipulation rather than just plainly
0: cheating, which is what it well, actually is, you know. And the, the, the reason why I wanted to go as deep into that as I did is because, uh, I think talk the whole fame <laughs> well I'm bringing it back to that right because one of the players that's that's on the Hall of Fame and we talked about this uh, Mike Pinozo and uh, Molina Mike one of the reasons I won't allow Corey, Corey Duell won't get my vote was because I think a lot of the stuff that he did with the soft break and uh, the kind of manipulating of especially the eight ball eight ball breaks where he was to, you know, he, I told the story of uh, when he was at the cam room in Beloit at the spring classic, he was banking the wing ball off of an eight ball rack, making that ball. And then three balls would leave the rack, but he would make a ball. So it, it's not an illegal break. And then he would just basically dink and dunk an entire rack and his eight ball, his eight ball racks would take 15 to 20 minutes per piece. Cause he's playing safety breaks every single time. And, uh, I, I don't know the exact start to this, but I've heard stories from players that said basically the the, the racket man, uh, manipulation was kind of started by Corey Duel off of that soft break and the you know the kind of things that went into that before. And I look at it as being cheating, too. I mean, I, I look at absolutely if you're, if you're if you're fingering the balls and you're trying to get gaps in certain spots, you're trying to basically say you're, you're basically trying to take the, the break out of it. You're, you're saying you're no longer playing a break. You're playing a shot and your shot is by hitting the rack at this speed on this line, and it's going to make this ball here. Uh, the break should not be a shot. It should be a break. It should be a random explosion of balls that you think you can try to control, uh, but you don't always know, right? Uh, well, the I think
1: – Just to interrupt you, Nate, I think uh, – first of all, I don't want to name names. That's for people to decide for themselves. I will. I, I, just, have, <laughs> I, will. <laughs> I just have an opinion about the, the rack. Uh, but in the end of the day – it was up to the organizers to stop it by putting in neutral rackers. And when that happened, that solved the problem right away. Now, having, having said that, I think there is a skill into reading the rack. There's a big skill in reading rack. That's, that's really knowledge. Uh, if you can look at a rack and you can see certain things and uh, without manipulating, you can see that ball's going there. That, that's a skill. That's knowledge. So I think not being allowed to look at the rack, uh, I think that could go a step too far. That's another di- discussion. I think that's a skill, but manipulating the rack, uh, in my opinion, goes too far. Yeah, yeah I, got and- no,
2: I, got, I got no problem with people checking the rack if they want to decide which side to break from if they think one side's got a better advantage than
0: the other. But it's, it's got to be ten seconds. Or, it's got to be ten seconds or less, though. Yes, it, it can be. Yeah, yeah yeah um but then i i think i think the neutral racker is absolutely necessary for the future of pool and unfortunately one of the one of the uh the byproducts of that is i i believe i remember a, a match that you had uh at the world pool masters this year if i'm not mistaken i think it was hill Hill Mills, and uh you smashed the rack and about six balls uh got outside of the there's like basically you smashed the rack and almost nothing opened up and i believe that was hill hill uh the match that you lost at the, uh, the Masters. Do you remember what yeah, I'm talking
1: about? I mean, this. You know, I mean, we're getting a little lost here. But um, the thing was that there's always this discussion, right? Like, okay, you got to break them firm. All right, what is firm? What is firm? It's because there was uh, uh, great layer, uh, great lady players that joined the matchroom events the previous years on TV. They broke as hard as they could. Uh, and then that was a, a kind of a medium speed. The, the men player copied that break and he gets a warning on TV. You have to break harder. So wh- what is that? That's, that's, it doesn't work. So that's why they implemented the three point rule. Now that obviously doesn't work that well for TV. People get confused. Uh, he made two balls on a break, but the other players playing. Okay, tough action. But what is firm, you know, we go to the, the break. Now I think the break as we have it now is the best thing ever for nine ball. It's great. I If, if balls are, are coming into the kitchen and I've, I felt, uh, Carl Boy said this really great on TV at commentary. You can see when a player's putting his elbow in and he's, he's making an effort to hit these balls. You can tell, right. If he's doing this is not a, it's not an impactful break. If you see a guy, uh, Accelerating, he's putting in speed. So I got a warning in my first match. You're soft breaking. I said, I said, how how can I be soft breaking? It's a cut break, and you're not going to see this big break that you guys maybe want to see on TV. That's not the break that's working uh, with nine on the spot in a break box. So we had a uh, an open discussion after the match, after the Joshua match, and we did some testing on TV. I said. Uh, to sum it up, if you hit the rack too thin, you're not going to get a lot of action. So you could have hit it with a good speed, but you hit them too thin. So you're losing impact. Or if you see all these balls going to the side rail, that means the rack wasn't really frozen. So that means you could also hit them pretty good, but now everything implodes to the side rail. So I got a warning. at both instances and I went after the, in the timeout, I said, I'm not hitting these balls soft. I'm hitting them as like I'm, I'm always doing. So I get a warning. I uh had to make some adjustments, it worked out, and then against Kachi, I got another warning during the match. I had to change something, and on Hill Hill, I had to do something different, otherwise, I would lose the rack on Hill Hill. So I broke, I took a chance, it didn't work out, and I lost the match. But you know, um, I think uh I think still this break that Matchroom is doing is the the best break with the template for for Pro Pool. I think it's the best best thing that i've seen in the last 10 years for sure, sure. but it just needs a little fine tuning sure.
0: okay jim you have any have anything else <laughs> darren appleton stop soft breaking
1: <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, he's on, i can't see who's online i got no clue no darren's
2: um, and he says you're, he says you need to stop soft breaking pal <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's getting I, Peter,
2: he doesn't have that power anymore dan you know how that feels yeah yeah,
0: Peter Braun asked a good Bosnia story, Niels.
1: Good, good, a good what? Bo-
0: a Bosnia story. You got a good Bosnia story? Peter Braun uh, asked
1: it. No, no, I don't. That, that's, uh, I mean, beautiful country. <laughs> uh, Bosnia, a beautiful country, tough history. So it's, uh, you have to go see for yourself, but a lot of nice, friendly, passionate people. Um, <laughs> yeah really really uh, I'm, I'm happy to go back to that tournaments like really good passion so yeah. <laughs> one yeah, more, one sure. more thing Moscone cup this year you win you're gonna get in this team uh my goal is to win a major so the initial goal is not to get in the Moscone cup because I'm not playing enough events uh but if i win that major I'm gonna be right up there again so uh, that's the way if I'm gonna get in that's the way I'm gonna get in not by racking up a, a, a lot and a lot of points. I have it's to gonna make be one, it's
2: gonna have to be one big bang. I got to yeah. make a big move. Correct. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: All well,
2: right. Well, maybe it's going to be in, in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. Let's see. Ka- unfortunately, Kachi's not going to be. Uh, looks like uh, the, one of the front runners for that final. What responses. happened?
1: I saw a picture. What happened? Because I'm not on Facebook.
0: He was racing. He was racing and he.
2: Flipped his car, had a massive car accident, and he smashed up his entire arm. Tendons, tendons are all torn, broken tendons torn. You could see he had the cast on his, and you could see his fingertips were all black. So there's obviously a lot of damage under there.
1: Oh and, man! Oh
2: wow! So he is—he's uh, kind of—I think he's finished for the year. I think probably. Ooh. Yeah. So this is, this is uh, this, this is this is oh that sounds horrible but wait a minute that puts me one more <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> no <it's>, it, <laughs> okay by by all, by all accounts he was he was very lucky to to walk out of it kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah the me- the me- the message that I uh, that I saw from him was uh you know I'm I'm pretty messed up but could have been a hell of a lot worse so. Yeah, you know what he's like—all these cars and stuff like that. It wouldn't have been thirty miles an hour that he was going, kind of thing. It would have, uh, yeah.
1: I didn't know he was racing, man. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm gonna go back uh, and put the youngest. Niels, uh, awesome to talk
2: to you. Took a little bit longer than expected, but listen, fun, thank man. you very much. Delighted for you. Can't wait to see you in Fulda. It's your round.
1: <laughs> and then yeah, uh, you
2: get practicing, man. Yeah, you got you it, man. And congratulations, congratulations again.
1: All right. Cheers.